You're not feeling like yourself anymore. You're not alone. Whether you're concerned about your weight, your energy level, a lack of sex drive, or hormone imbalance, solutions are waiting for you at Nava Health. With a technology-driven approach, Nava's medical experts craft custom plans that adapt as you progress, optimizing your health. Start feeling better now at navacenter.com forward slash POD. That's navacenter.com forward slash POD. Or call 855-680-6282. Results may vary. Welcome to History for Weirdos. We are your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. couple of weeks but we are back with episode 93 what's going on weirdos i am back from the (laughs) brink of death and here to bring you some epic history for weirdos content yeah we have missed you all uh for those of us who don't follow us on instagram you may not have heard because that's where we provided the update but not only did we have to miss an episode two weeks ago for quinceanera in mexico we had to miss last week because andrew got sick while traveling from the quinceanera (laughs) i know wow it was bad guys um but i'm all better 100 percent, and just and ready to go i'm not gonna bore you or uh disgust you more likely (laughs) with the details but just know that i was in severe pain oh yeah it takes a lot for andrew to take time off of anything let alone the podcast which we love so much but i'm so glad that you were able to rest and that we are back And this is a nice little reminder, if you don't follow us on Instagram, I do recommend you follow us at History4Weirdos, because if there is like a special episode, or we have questions, or there's a delay, that's where we will provide the update. Right, exactly. Thank you for that plug. That was a good one. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, and also to kick things off, happy 4th of July to all of our American friends. Yeah. Um, it's coming. It, I know that the episode is dropping on July 3rd, but that's the next day. So happy 4th of July. And we'd like to actually make a little announcement. So for the month of July, we will be doing something called summer ween. Yay. And Stephanie, <laughs> actually, do you want to go into it? The details of that? Yes. I did not come up with the term summer ween. I just want to clarify. I've heard this term on YouTube mm. and essentially we're going to be adding some spooky elements some of the darker spooky elements to our july episodes to give us kind of like a fun summer meets halloween vibe for the month of july exactly and i'm really excited about that and to kick off this month we're to kick g- off summer ween summer ween yes thank you to kick off <laughs> summer ween we're going to be looking at an incident within the soviet union so we're oh. going back to the 20th century so not like my normal you know ancient history uh uh what is it fault like stuff stuff <laughs> i know i sounded so articulate there no i was trying to say your like specialty. bronze age collapse you know <laughs> or just antiquity yeah no so we're, we're we're going to the 20th century and this is one of the stranger just episodes of i feel like human history that i've ever seen and it's especially something that we have covered on this show oh interesting i'm excited to hear yes this is an, an incident that Again, like I said, took place during the Soviet Union during like kind of the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sh- not only shocked the nation, uh, but pretty much the entire world. Okay. Yes. So a group of university students went hiking in the Ural Mountains in what should have been in like an epic two-week or roughly 15-day trek across 200 miles or 320 kilometers of snowy peaks and high winds. Ooh. It sounds intense. It sounds very intense. But these students, sadly, were never to return. Oh. It was a tragedy, undoubtedly, but the circumstances around their deaths have been spoken about now for the past, you know, 64 years. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Today, we'll be discussing the Dyatlov Pass incident or the tragedy at Dyatlov Pass that happened during the night slash early morning of February 1st and 2nd, respectively. Of what year? 
1959. 1959. Okay. Wow. I'm intrigued. And before we get into the incident, let's get a bit into what the Soviet Union was like at this time. So Joseph Stalin, you've probably heard that name before. Yeah. He was the once leader of the Soviet Union, and he had been dead now for over five years at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So he was a brutal dictator who became paranoid towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. Stalin thought that everyone was a political enemy and either directly or indirectly was responsible for the imprisonment, torture, and deaths of millions of people during his rule. Yeah. Not a nice dude. Mm -mm. So this guy, I mean, this was a guy who even threw his own son into prison. Right. right. Yeah. The gulag as Mm -hmm. it was known. And I mean, this just terrible psychotic person is now dead mm-hmm. and his successor a guy by the name of nikita khrushchev yeah um basically was like he tried to position himself as like the anti-stalin that's smart because yes. people must have been living in so much fear yeah he like i mean he was known as like kind of a reformer like at least the beginning of his kind of rule um he was still a dictator don't like don't right. get me wrong he was still a dictator but he actively sought to quote-unquote de-stalinize the soviet union okay yeah so he did this by releasing political prisoners and by introducing certain economic reforms okay and the effect of all this was a sort of you know rebirth slash revival in the soviet union Mm. um which you know included them being the first nation to send a satellite into space in 1957 yeah um this sort of optimism certainly had an effect on one of the main protagonists in our story Okay. So let's enter, or right now we have entering Igor Dyatlov. Okay. He was an engineering student at the Ural Polytechnic Institute in his hometown, a city named Severdlosk, or now Yekaterinburg. There's a lot of Russian names in here, so I'm probably going to butcher at least one of them, if not more. All of them. Yeah, oh. Pretty, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Stephanie has zero confidence in me. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Anyways, um, he was quite the cross-country skier and an adventurer, um, as he had already led a number of arduous wilderness trips, often using outdoor equipment that he invented or improved upon. I mean, this this guy, he's a kid. He's like... In his early 20s at this point. So, I mean, the fact that he was probably a late teenager or even just a regular teenager when he was doing his first, like, expeditions. That's insane to think about. It is, To have that kind of drive as a young adult. Right. To just get out there and explore. Exactly. It's it's kind of nuts. So, he submitted uh, his proposal of this now infamous trip. Um, to the Institute Sports Club, which enthusiastically approved the plan. Okay. So Dyatlov gathered an additional seven men and two women, all of whom were experienced trekkers and were university students. So their names are, and I'm just going to read their names once, um, just because out of respect. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So we have Yuri Doroshenko, Liu Demila Dubinina. God, that was that was a I butchered that one. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're going to give your best effort. Yeah. Georgi or Yuri Kurishnevenko, Alexander Kolitov, Zenaida Kolomogrova, Rustem Solobidin, Nikolai Thibault Briganole, Simon Zolotaryov, and Yuri Yudin. Hmm. So one of these men, Zolotaryov, was actually 38 and was previously certified to go with another uh, expedition of similar difficulty. So I need to amend my earlier statement just saying that they're all university students. He was the lone exception. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the oddball in the group. Everyone else is like in their like kind of like early, maybe mid-20s at the latest, and this dude's 38. Okay. Um, but he seems to be seasoned in doing these kinds of expeditions then. Yes, exactly. Okay. He was slated to go on a previous trip, but then was kind of just like thrown onto this one. Okay. So the route in which they were to take was designed by Dyatlov's group to reach the far northern regions of the Severodlovsk Oblast and the upper streams of the Lozva River. Is there, and I'm sorry if this is a silly question, but with the expeditions, is there like an objective or a goal or something that they're trying to see or map, or it's just sort of like to explore these areas? No, that's a really good question. So from my understanding is, I mean, 
one, I know that Russia is absolutely, from a land mass perspective, is absolutely massive, right? Huge. Gigantic. Yes. So I think there's a lot, and a lot of it's very remote and just, I mean, barren. Right? Where they're going, is it's not a populated region at okay. all. Um, there is an indigenous tribe that actually lives there, but they've been, you know, quote unquote, rucified over mm -hmm. centuries. Mm -hmm. um, so they're called the Monsi people, and we'll get to them in a little bit. But besides them, um, there's not really too many people there. So it just hasn't been traversed. Okay. So they're almost like you can think of them as like kind of like cartographers in a way. Yeah. Just mapping the region. Just figuring out what's there, how to get there, how to get back. Right. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, the, yeah, so the route that they were going to take was designed by them, and their ultimate goal was to reach the Otorten Mountain, just a few miles away from what would be their final campsite, sadly enough. Mm. So on J uh, January 23rd, 1959, the Dyatlov group was issued their route book, and they left their city of Sverdlovsk uh, by train that very same day. Mm-hmm. So several of them even hid under seats to avoid buying tickets. Oh my gosh, that's such a college student move. I know, it really is. I <laughs> laughed. I'm like, that's something I would do. Yes. So they were in high spirits, so high that on a layover between trains, one of the group members was briefly detained by police for playing his mandolin and pretending to panhandle in the train station. So they're goofing off. They're mainly college kids kind of on a fun adventure exactly and they're having a good time on the way there right okay yes that's that's a really good way of putting it so and we know uh we know these details because the group had a communal journey and would fill in you know quite a bit of uh detailed information for us you know later on do you mean communal journal yeah what did i say journey oh yeah communal journal thank you yeah oh that's so interesting what an interesting idea to have a journal where multiple people are putting in entries i know isn't that cool yeah my friends and i had something similar in, in elementary school oh, nerd yeah we would like everyone would get it for like a weekday or something mm. and we'd share our thoughts and stuff that way but we were not going on expeditions we were just right. going to roosevelt elementary like school 200 mile <laughs> trek through the ural mountains no but we were we were traversing <laughs> fifth grade oh okay that, so just as difficult just as difficult <laughs> Uh, the group, so they eventually made it to the town of Ivdel two days later. So I guess this would be on the 25th. Okay. And from here, they had to travel by bus. Um, they also travel in the back of a woodcutter's truck and then by oh ski-driven horse-drawn sled. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, they're getting to the remote areas here. Wow. Yes. Planes, trains, and automobiles, but like trains, trucks horses yeah sleds sleds oh my gosh so on january 27th one of the students yuri yudin mm -hmm. he had a flare-up of sciatica ouch and fortunately for him uh he had to turn back the very next day on the 28th which saved his life wow oh my gosh and that must have been in the moment, really frustrating and disappointing right. to walk away. Exactly, because only days later, everyone's dead. Yeah, but I mean, you're hiking, you're trekking. Right. Sciatica would be terrible. It would exacerbate it so much. It's the pain in your sciatic nerve, which goes up and down your leg. Yes. Oh, my God. That would be terrible. But, oh, that's so spooky to think. It's. It really is. It truly is. Okay, so Yuri, Yuri's the one that turns back, you said? Yeah, he's okay. the one who turns back. So the plan was to end up at the tiny village of Vizhai around February 12th. Mm -hmm. Once the expedition got there, they would telegram to the sports club mm -hmm. to let them know that they had arrived safely. Mm -hmm. But as you can probably surmise at this point, that telegram would never come. Mm, yeah. There had been an intense snowstorm around the time, like immediately preceding the 12th. So uh, when there wasn't a telegram at first, no one was super worried. Yeah, because they're thinking, oh, it's a, de a delay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until a week later on the 20th that the families of the hikers started to demand that there be some sort of rescue. Because already they're eight days overdue. Wow, that's a long time. They let a lot of time pass. A lot of time, especially since we know that they it was well documented that 
uh, they start, they actually like, you know, what the event in question happened on either the first or the second. Oh, wow. So we're almost, we're already weeks after. Okay. So the, the local police, along with the army using airplanes and helicopters, began to assist with the search and rescue operation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until almost another week on February 26th that their final campsite was found near Kolat the Siakal Mountain. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, the literal translation of this in the local native language, Mansi, is Dead Mountain. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the local indigenous people know something about that mountain. They know something. Yeah. The tent was partly collapsed and somewhat buried in snow. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. And that's important. Okay. Uh, and this is just where things just start to get weird. And honestly, everyone, like, it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder the more we get into it. That's kind of perfect for a podcast called History for Weirdos, <laughs> I will say. I know. This is what the people want. Yeah, how fortuitous, right? Yeah, how fortuitous. <laughs> so tell us, why does it get weirder? So the rescuer who found the tent that they were using described it by saying the tent was like half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Their shoes? Their shoes had been left behind. It looked like the tent had been cut open from the inside. And later on, we that would be confirmed. What? It was cut open from the inside. And besides that, everything looked ordinary. The skier's boots, axes, and other equipment were even arranged neatly on either side of the door of the tent. Like, okay, this is we're setting it up for tomorrow when we leave. Exactly. Here's where all our stuff is. But... It, it got cut from the inside and then their shoes remain. You're not going pretty you're not going to go far without shoes in the snow. No, that exactly. Food was laid out as if it was about to be eaten and there was a stack of wood for heating a stove and clothes, the cam- cameras and journals. Oh. Or at least one camera, I should say. Nine sets of footprints left by people wearing only socks or possibly a single shoe or even barefoot could be followed leading down to the edge of a nearby wood on the opposite side of the pass so roughly a mile or a little over a half um, uh, you know a kilometer and a half like to the northeast of the campsite all nine all nine yes okay this is very strange these footprints indicated a walk and not a run and mm-hmm. it didn't indicate any sort of like anyone being dragged okay or anything like that Everyone seems to be independently walking, not running. Exactly. None of, no one's getting dragged or anything like that. Interesting. The following morning, so the search and rescue team found the first two bodies under a tall cedar tree at the edge of the forest. Mm. They were lying next to the remains of a fire wearing only their underwear. What? I'm telling you, it only gets weirder. The 12 to 15 feet up the tree there were some recently broken branches and on the trunk bits of skin and torn clothes were found skin yeah so indicating that like they were they trying to climb, climb up, up. Uh huh. but again like in just their underwear okay and b- bits of clothes later the same day the bodies of diatlov and another student were also mm. found but further up the slope with their fists tightly clenched Mm. interesting they were facing the tent and looked like they were heading maybe back towards it okay while the search went on for the other travelers an autopsy was conducted on you know the four bodies that had already been found Mm -hmm. and again it just gets weirder and this is also slightly graphic so if uh, if you're squeamish maybe you know fast forward about 30 seconds okay one of the bodies that was found near the tree had uh, this was Oh, man. Kurovoshenko. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they had blackened fingers and third-degree burns on a shin and a foot. Okay. Third-degree burns. That's incredibly hot. Yeah. Uh, inside his mouth, there was also a chunk of flesh that he had bitten off of his right hand. What? The other, quote-unquote, tree student, Doroshenko had burned hair on one side of his head, and he also had a charred sock 
Okay. All four of the bodies were covered with bruises, abrasions, scratches, and cuts. And a fifth body, you know, that of Slobodin, was discovered a few days later near uh, to where Dyatlov was found on the slope. Mm-hmm. So now there's f- there's five bodies found. And he was also covered with bruises, abrasions, scratches, cuts. But he also had a minor fracture in his skull. Mm. Scientists determined that that wasn't his cause of death, but still thought that was pretty strange. There's some sort of scuffle, some sort of, I mean, the burn, some some sort of attack almost. We'll get to that, yeah. It gets, again, and we're not, we do find all of them, so okay. all the bodies, and it, it, the other ones are just even, are honestly even stranger. Do we know cause of death? So, yeah, the cause of death for all five that have been officially found so far, or I guess officially have, has been hypothermia. Oh, yeah. okay. I should note that the, the three travelers on the slope were all found only between either 1,000 to 2,000 feet away from the tree where the others were found. Okay, so everyone, so far they're all in fairly close proximity. Fairly close proximity to the tent, uh-huh. but all away from the tent. Yeah. So, yeah, they're all found close to each other, but far enough away where it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. So very quickly, a homicide investigation was opened because yeah. this is just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, toxicology tests were done. Witness testimony was taken, diagrams and maps made of the scene, evidence gathered and forensically analyzed. The tent and its contents were helicoptered out of the mountains and set up inside a police station. And this is where we actually have confirmation that it was cut from the inside because a seamstress who just happened to be doing unrelated work at that police station saw it and was like, oh, yeah. That was open from the inside, not from the outside. Wow. Like, she could tell definitively. Right. Ultimately, though, the investigation didn't really go anywhere because it's just truly baffling. Right. And it's 1959. Exactly. Even though it sounds like they're really trying to do their best to figure this out, the forensics just wouldn't be um, advanced enough, I think. There's no DNA testing or anything to see whose DNA is on what. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And a, any attempt now would be really tough because of time and the remains and all of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Just, deg- I guess, natural degradation. So, so far we know they're in the tent. They cut the tent from the inside. All nine leave calmly. We away. don't know if they're calmly, but they're walking. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. They walk they away. Walking away. Without shoes on. Yeah, or at best one pair of shoes, like a single shoe. Okay. So it's weird that they're walk. Like it seemed to be that they were in a hurry, but not enough a hurry to actually right. run. Because if you're cutting the tent open, I'm thinking someone's freaking out. Something happened. Right. So you'd think you'd be running away. Yeah, absolutely. Or running towards help or running whatever. But no, I'm just gonna walk now that I've. Why not unzip the tent? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's very strange. Okay. Keep telling us things. <laughs> when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something had happened that induced the skiers to cut their way out of this tent, Mm -hmm. fleeing to the night, into howling blizzard mm-hmm. in 20 below zero temperatures and bare feet or socks at best oh that's the situation that we're in even so, for russians that's cold that's yes <laughs> and again this group was very experienced so they would have known the consequences of leaving a right. tent ill-prepared in the the heart of winter right right these are all i would say like amateur explorers right they're right they're wilderness people this is seems more like it would happen to maybe first timers that freak out about something. Exactly. People more inexperienced. Exactly. This is really odd. It is. Um, 
it's very strange and also I, I didn't put this in my notes but we know that they were like level two out of three and like after this trip they would have gotten their like highest level certification like they would have been level three trekkers is that a thing like here in the u.s i don't think so i mean who knows actually um it seemed like it was a soviet thing yeah specifically like a soviet like as in like yeah, yeah. not russia but just like the soviet union um so but yeah i have no idea honestly no idea because i know there are obviously that's a big big culture is hiking and wilderness exploration like right. here as well so weirdos if you know if there are levels yeah to, to your outdoorsiness please let us know on instagram i would like to know that too yeah, yeah that's really interesting so out of the three levels they're level two they've done this before exactly yeah they've done this they're they've they're in it so it would take another two plus months to find the remaining four bodies by the way oh so after the snow and ice had begun to thaw in early May, a Monsi hunter and his dog came across the remains of a like makeshift snow den in the woods, mm. 250 feet from the cedar tree where the two bodies were found. Really? Only 250 feet away. Oh my from gosh. A f like a floor of branches laid in a deep hole in the snow with pieces of tattered clothing strewn about. Black cotton sweatpants... Uh, with the right leg cut off and mm -hmm. the left half of a woman's sweater. That's another thing that's so odd is that everything seems to be very haphazardly, like cut, burned, tattered. Yes, it's really strange. Nothing seems consistent with each other. Yeah, exactly. Excavation around like the area uncovered the four remaining victims lying together in a rocky stream bed under at least 10 feet of snow. Mm-hmm. Mm. And to make matters even stranger, their autopsy re revealed catastrophic injuries to three of them. Oh, my God. So these were the three of the entire group who, whose cause of death, like, officially was not hypothermia. Okay. So one of their skulls, the, mm -hmm. that of Tybalt Brignoles, mm -hmm. was so badly fractured that pieces of bone had been driven into his brain. Oh, wow. Two of the others... Zolotaryov and Dubininina mm -hmm. had crushed chests with multiple broken ribs, mm -hmm. with one of them, Dubinina, containing a massive hemorrhage in the right ventricle of her heart. Oh my gosh, these poor people. The medical examiner said the damage was similar to what is typically seen as the result of an, an automobile moving at high speeds. Oh. Yeah, and that's a direct quote. Even though that... None of them had any sort of puncture wounds whatsoever. Mm. And to top it all off, Zolotaryov's corpse was missing its eyes, and Dubinina's was missing its eyes, tongue, and part of the upper lip. What? I'm telling you, it, uh, it literally just gets weirder and weirder at the, the deeper you dive into this. And again, to make matters even stranger... The deceased were wearing articles of clothing that had been taken or even cut from others in the group. No. Yes. They're not wearing their own clothes. Right. And just, like, tatters of, like, other clothes. Oh, my gosh. And these clothes, some of them had unusually high levels of radiation. Oh. So. That's to, very interesting. And, you know, to give some context, their bodies had been exposed to running water for months now. So the levels on the night of the incident would have been much higher. Okay. And it's already pretty high. Yeah. So I've thrown a lot at you mm -hmm. and to you weirdos. So here's just a very, very quick snapshot of some of the facts that we have mentioned so far. So six of the group members died of hypothermia, three of them to fatal catastrophic injuries. And those three were so severe that they could not have been caused by human hands. They were too, too strong. There were no indications of any other people on Colat Sikol apart from the nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. I didn't mention that earlier, but yeah, that is, that is also true. Um, traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot. Mm. And, of course, the unusually high levels of radiation. Mm-hmm. Wow. It so, would, it's, it's not 
nice to think this, but it would feel like it makes more sense if there was obvious evidence of like an outside person. Right. You know, another set of footprints or even an animal or something. It, it's still tragic. These poor people didn't deserve this. But the fact that it just seems like they were going about their business, all things as planned, and then something went really wrong. Yeah. It almost seems like a just from the really like amateur thought that came to mind is like a weird mass hysteria. There's this movie from, like, the late 90s. It was, like, a sci-fi movie called The Event Horizon. Uh-huh. And, like, basically, I'm not going to get into, the, like, the story, but, like, there's a scene where you, where you kind of, like, you're kind of getting towards, like, the um, like the apex of the, the movie and mm-hmm. the, the plot. And you see, like, the moment that they kind of, it's, it's in, it takes place in outer space where the, you kind of, like, they go into an alternative dimension. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, pure chaos. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the sort of vibe that I'm getting from this. All of a sudden, just actual chaos like kind of erupted from this group. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just in a moment, it was just like utter pure terror and chaos. That's awful. So on May 28th, 1959, Lev Ivanov, he was the prosecutor and lead investigator, mm-hmm. closed the case mm-hmm. as it was only his job to determine if a crime had been committed. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily, it wasn't like to look and try to figure out what had happened Mm -hmm. and clearly this wasn't any ordinary crime right right this is just something that is so insanely weird beyond his scope exactly uh he had determined right that again like no crime had been committed but also noted quote it should be concluded that the cause of the hikers demise was an overwhelming force which they were not able to overcome End quote. Mm. And that for decades was the official cause of death was like an, an overwhelming, overwhelming force. force. That's really spooky. Yeah. But that definitely speaks to the what you were alluding to this like force of chaos, this or like me, like a mass hysteria sort of thing. Kind of like I've told you about the phenomenon that we don't really understand called folia du, madness of two in mm. psychology, where two people will share sort of a psychotic break and they share delusions. I don't know actually a ton if uh, I could look into it maybe for a future episode, if this is can happen amongst groups, but that's what it sounds like. Almost like they all kind of lost it at the same time, wandered off and things deteriorated from there. We'll get into like pretty shortly here, like, theories theories causes because i'm sure so many people have probably studied this over and over again i mean people have been studying this since it happened basically like for decades now like there have been so many theories that have been floated it's it's actually kind of wild tell us more we'll get there we'll get there so obviously the families of the hikers were incredibly dissatisfied um and tried in vain to get like further investigations what had happened they even appealed to khrushchev himself Oh, wow. But nothing was ever done. Mm. The investigative files, photographs, and journals were classified, and the area around Dead Mountain was placed off limits to skiers and outdoor enthusiasts for years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The area of the mountain that the trekkers were trying to reach but never did was renamed Dyatlov Pass. So it's a little bit of a misnomer that the actual Dyatlov Pass was not the site where they were killed. Okay. Um, it was it's it was like their end destination. Right. So now we get into the area of what the hell actually happened on the night slash early morning of February 1st and 2nd. Mm-hmm. So for decades, the story faded into obscurity until 1990 when Ivanov published an article in which he claimed that he'd been pressured not to include his views on what had actually happened that fateful night. Oh my goodness. The article titled The Enigma of the Fireballs said that the skiers had been killed by heat rays or balls of fire associated with UFOs. What? I I can't make this up. Balls of fire? I guess things were scorched on them. Right. I mean, it. it's not the worst explanation. And the force? Yes. Quote, yeah. Okay. Keep In going. his original examination of the scene, Ivanov had found trees with unusual burn marks, which, quote, confirm that some kind of heat ray, say, or a powerful force whose nature is completely unknown to us at least, acted selectively on specific objects, end mm. quote. 
And interestingly, the last photo in the camera that belonged to one of the trackers showed flares and streaks of light against a black background. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. So not the worst theory. And surprisingly in Russia, a similar, although, you know, different take on the theory has taken root over, you know, the past 30 years or so. Okay. So that is that the skiers died because they had stumbled into what... Um, or into an area where secret weapons were being tested. Yeah, that's another thing that crossed my mind when you mentioned that the families, understandably outraged, were demanding more information, and the government's just like, no, that's all we got. Yeah. That that crossed my mind, too. Exactly. So the idea that um, a missile launch of some kind went disastrously, mm. disastrously wrong, excuse me, inflicting severe injuries on some of the skiers and forcing the group to flee their tent, at which point they either froze to death or were killed by military observers. Okay. That kind of makes sense too, but it wouldn't explain them walking. Exactly, and how there were no other footprints found. Yeah. that would, That's very hard to do. And this is, I will say, this is the view that Yuri Yudin, the guy who left the trip early, he held all the way up until his death, which happened in 2013 really so he agreed with theory number two that it was a missile yeah or some sort of missile launch or Mm -hmm. something okay went disastrously wrong dubanina he said uh may have had her tongue cut out by the killers because she was the most outspoken of the group Mm. and there is some evidence to back this up, right? Um, people in the region did say that they had seen flashes of light or moving balls of fire in the direction of the mountains. Okay. And in 2008, a three-foot-long piece of metal was found in the area, which apparently belonged to a Soviet-era ballistic missile. Mm. And um, this would explain some of the radiation mm-hmm. that they found. Yes, that, that's true. Even Yevge- like Yevgeny... Okishev. He was Ivanov's superior in the prosecutor general's office. He gave an interview to a newspaper in 2013 in which he recalled finding it suspicious when he and his colleagues were instructed to test recovered items for radiation. Yeah. When he pressed his superiors about it, they just told him to tell the victims, like the families, that their deaths were accidental and to close the case. Oh my gosh, that's such an infuriating answer. Incredibly infuriating. But, again, this theory doesn't line up with the snow prints found, right? Yeah, exactly. That. And if there were military personnel there, their tracks would have been all over. All over the place, yeah. And it wasn't. Probably, like, vehicles would have been there. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, like, in fact, there was no evidence that anyone besides the travelers were there. Right. And also, why stage such an elaborate and bizarre scene? Why not, if... if the military were there you could say like oh they cleaned up their tracks or whatever why not clean up the everything. remains yeah clean up the remains just like get the rid of tent. everything yeah. yeah it it wouldn't make any sense um and then like yeah just like all the the bodies all over the place like partly like climbing up the trees yeah um, like even having skin on the trees is like very strange right very strange it just honestly doesn't make sense mm-hmm Plus, with the massive declassification of documents after the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was never any sort of mention about any sort of military or secret intelligence base in the area. Yeah, and that is the type of information that would have come out. It definitely would have come out. And Mm -hmm. there has been so many people that have been interested in this case for years and decades that have, like, looked at these documents and not a single shred of evidence supports this. Oof. Yeah. So there's also I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there's a theory in Russia that was that's popular that the CIA was involved, but it even <laughs> makes less sense. Yeah. Like for example, why meet in this absurdly obscured location and to what end? Right? There's very little to gain from this and just a lot to lose. Yeah, why target or if not target like harm these college students, right? Say they're right. not your target, you were there doing something else shady, but then you come across these college students in their tent it doesn't explain anything again the cia especially would really clean up their tracks they would not want to make it seem like anything happened there or they'd try to make the deaths look more natural exactly i mean this this looks very unnatural exactly very unnatural it's just it's very strange it's very strange 
Are those the main theories, or is there no, more? No, there is more. There's yes. a lot more. Tell me. So other <laughs> theories range from practical and unimaginative to <laughs> absolutely absurd and everything in between. Perfect. So in July 2020, the official – so this is only like a few years ago. The official explanation had been updated to say that it was an avalanche that caused the death, all these deaths, specifically a slab avalanche. But this is deeply problematic as there is no evidence of an avalanche actually even occurring. I was going to say, there, then you would have seen an avalanche. Right. When you got there. And there was, I mean, the tent wasn't even completely covered. Yeah, you mentioned partially covered. It was partially covered. An avalanche would have also left certain patterns and debris distributed over a wide area and that the bodies um, were found nearer to the tent, barely had any snow covering them. Yeah. They were found pretty much immediately. Yeah. Plus, over 100 expeditions to the area that have occurred since have never uncovered any conditions that would cause an avalanche. Ooh. So over 100, not a single one. That sounds like BS then. Yeah. One of the more interesting and plausible scenarios could have been the result of a natural phenomenon called catabatic winds or catabatic. Okay. And this is really interesting. It's when cooler, denser air moves down a slope and can create somewhat violent and hostile conditions. Mm. So specifically the flat, the flast, fast flowing funnels of air propelled by the force of gravity transported snow like down the mountain to the campsite like could have caused some sort of panic and disorientation. And mm -hmm. on top of that, um, it, these type of winds have the effect sometimes of causing infrasound which can create panic attacks in some people. Oh, okay. So that could explain what drove them out of the tent right. and into the snowy woods. Exactly. It could have just had, it could have caused like a mass hysteria. Yeah. Because um, it's like the super high frequency that you can barely hear. It just makes you go nuts. Yeah. And you're just like, what's going on? I got to get out of here, get away. Exactly. Okay. But it wouldn't explain their injuries. Wouldn't explain their injuries. It wouldn't, um, I mean, these winds are very, very fast and have killed people in the past, but it's still not the not it, the rate at which, especially the, the ones that had catastrophic injuries, not them. It, I doubt that the wind takes out your tongue and your eyeballs. Exactly. Or burns your hair. Or gives you radiation. Yeah. Exactly, because it doesn't. Again, yeah, I, I literally put in my notes, like, this does not account for the radiation nor the placement of the bodies and why clothing was swapped. Yes, I forgot about that detail. That's There's so, so oddly many details. Yeah, that's so oddly spooky to me. And, you know, in, in here we're just getting kind of like deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. But like other theories include like either paradoxical undressing caused by hypothermia and or carbon monoxide poisoning, which could mm. have caused hallucinations. Mm -hmm. um, but my absolute favorite theory is, and are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. A Yeti. Okay. And not the cooler, <laughs> but, like, the abominable snowman. But wouldn't the Yeti leave tracks and footprints? That's a very good, very mm. good argument, babe. And he definitely would. Or she. She. <laughs> no, I don't know why I said he. Like, it is a better <laughs> way of saying it. And, you know, this theory actually does come from a picture taken. Um, it was one of the last pictures found on the aforementioned camera. Really? And it just... And again, remember, this is 1959, so it's not like we have, like, you know, 4K. Exactly, yeah. Um, I assume it's a I assume it's a black and white camera, too. Yes, oh, yeah, definitely. And it looks like you have, like, um, in the tree line, there was, like, a hunched figure. Okay. Um, again, not exactly plausible, but it's my favorite theory, so I wanted to mention it nonetheless. <laughs> Did you look up these images when you were researching? No, I haven't. So I was actually going to, like, after we did this episode and... and See if we can and, post them? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And from here, we get into even crazier theories like aliens and other supernatural phenomenon. You already mentioned aliens. Aliens was theory number one, right? No, it wasn't. An alien attack? No, I haven't mentioned aliens UFOs? Oh, oh, yes. The, the, yeah, the, the dude, whatever his name is. Ivanov. Uh-huh. There we go. Okay, so you're right. Yeah. Sorry, not to gaslight you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that kind of sort of morphed into more of, like, the plausible, like, missiles scenario. 
Yeah, because I guess, and I, I make this error all the time, we forget that UFO just means unidentified right. ob- flying object. It doesn't necessarily mean aliens. Correct. I just assumed that it was aliens yes. when you said UFO. Exactly. But, you know, this case is officially closed, and officially, right, I'm doing officially with, like, right. air quotes, their death was caused by an avalanche. What? Again, however, the facts don't back that assertion up. That's... At all, really. Yeah, that's so frustrating. That seems like the least likely. Yeah, so Stephanie and my dear weirdos, what do you think happened this fateful night? I really resonate with the theory that there's some sort of poisoning. That they experienced some sort of toxic, um, I don't know, material, something they inhaled, something they were exposed to that led to them behaving in a very odd way. Right. But what makes me hesitant to fully go with that or what what i feel like is still isn't answered is it does seem like the government or other forces don't would have just said that if it was something innocuous like oh yeah i guess they came across poison water or something and it doesn't account for radiation yeah i think there's something missing something that's being covered up absolutely and that's i think the prevailing thought in like russia Mm -hmm. is that like it was there was definitely some sort of cover-up and how frustrating because obviously they were living in a time where i mean so many can relate to this but i'm sure they had very little faith and trust in their government and in their i think more so then than like now but yeah like i think this definitely probably shook and they were sort of going through like that revival that i mentioned yeah where there was like this kind of optimism and things are getting better but this must have been very heartbreaking to get stonewalled when asking very reasonable questions i mean and even like fairly high up people when asking like hey like why am i testing why am i doing this this?" and they're like nope shut it down just make this go away that's also weird and very concerning incredibly concerning what is your assumption i think it's a mix of a few things um but yeah that's likely that's that's the only thing because like there's no one thing that can explain everything right like I mean, the, the ma- there is some sort of mass hysteria yeah, probably caused by a toxin, right? That is, I think, happened. To me, it sounds like them leaving the tent, they were confused. Right, and... But why? I don't know why. Because yeah. and also, why did that one guy have third-degree burns? And exactly. another one had, like, hair completely, like, singed off the side of his head. Exactly. And then radiation on top of that. Like, so that means some sort of, like minor nuclear explosion i don't know but no no, but then that wouldn't make any sense because like there was no damage Uh uh-huh yeah there'd be traces of that yeah absolutely yeah nuclear explosion there'd be massive traces of that no idea maybe some sort of radiation poisoning to boot it could be radiation poisoning yeah but again like where would that come from and why the the group that was found buried in kind of like the little snowy area right their injuries are so so strange so strange and so different i i know when you start to think oh maybe it's this there's like half a dozen like pieces of evidence that like nope which to your point likely means that it's a combination of bizarre factors i think so i mean goodness i i i mean i would just like what i would give to just oh, be like yeah. a, like a uh, not a fly but like something just like in a little like observant like you know to just know yeah. to have footage somehow or to have like the objective truth i know that's why cases like this like drive people nuts because there's no way to actually know for certain right. as of now with our current technology because the only people who know are that we know of are the deceased right exactly wow but yeah that's that's the story of Diatlov pass Wow, Andrew, this was weird. Very weird. Even for our podcast. I think so, too. Fascinating, horrifying, definitely quite a kickoff to Summerween. I think so, too. I know, some big shoes to fill with stuff. Yeah, I really (laughs) do. And, of course, even though, you know, time has passed, I can't, I just feel so sad for these people and for their families. What a terrible and frustrating and unjust way to end things. I, I genuinely couldn't agree more. And to be denied the most basic thing, which is answers. Right. 
just answers. That's like all the family wanted was like what happened to them. Yeah. And they never got it. That's so sad. But wow, what a cool story. We I can't wait to hear what the weirdos think. Yeah, what weirdos. their theories are. On the Instagram post for this week's episode let us know what you guys think i'm very curious yes please let us know again follow us on instagram at history for weirdos comment your thoughts and just stay tuned for summer ween because it's about to get weird it's about to get weird <laughs> before i forget i need to let you guys know my sources for this week oh yeah most of the information actually comes from this fascinating very long article uh, from the new yorker okay they did a great job covering this that was a really good one I also got uh, information from the New York Times, History.com, the Smithsonian, and, of course, our favorite, Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm sure there's so many fascinating sources out there. Yeah, and it's so funny because you'll when you look up this incident, there are a lot of articles from, like, 2000 or 2021, like, come out or, like, that came out, like, roughly around all the same time. Like, did history or did science finally solve the, the mystery at Diatlov Pass? And the answer is no. Great. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> If you want a one-word answer to that question, it's no. <laughs> Who knows, though? Maybe at some point we will be able to. Technology advances so wildly. Right. Who knows? Exactly. Well, I would be. I would love to hopefully, you know, have an answer. Like to be alive if they're if they find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, weirdos, thank you so much for listening to another episode of History for Weirdos. It is so good to be back. And do not forget, if you like this show, please rate review subscribe or just send this episode over to someone who you think might enjoy it that helps the podcast grow and we appreciate you all so much because you've helped us grow and we love 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 this weirdo community yeah we got you i mean we love you you guys are awesome and thank you so much for like having this happen yeah thanks for listening to our voices yeah we appreciate it we love being in your home <laughs> and in your ears in your ears <laughs> not Un to be creepy or anything until next time weirdos adios Thank you.